it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yes, it is. And we are back in action, coming to you live from the greatest country in the world, broadcasting as we always do from the tippy top of the world famous Fox News headquarters in New York City. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon, a man who is not complaining about Joe Biden's lack of availability to the press. But check this out. The Washington Post. You know, the same folks that had no problem covering for Biden in the basement during his campaign, now complaining that they can't get any access from the guy. The media is a bunch of losers. They really are. You talk about you made your bed, now you'll sleep in it. Uh, We're going to get into it today. It's a busy day. It's a track meet on the show. Dr. Nicole Sapphire is going to be in the house. She is, of course, a Fox News medical contributor. Is going to weigh in on the cognitive state of Joe Biden. And the adverse consequences, uh, from a health standpoint anyway, that will come from repealing Title 42 uh, two days from today. 35,000 people poised right now to cross our border illegally. That can't be good. uh, And do so without health screening uh, in a lot of instances. Emily Campagna will be here as well, Fox News legal analyst. Brian Brenberg takes us inside this debt standoff. Biden is supposed to meet today with Kevin McCarthy, and they're trying to figure out a spending plan. Of course, Biden and the Democrats want no cap on spending. That is financial lunacy. It really is. But agree or disagree, it doesn't matter. You're still welcome here on the show. 888-788-9910 is the phone number, uh, regardless of whether you agree or disagree with this host. It's just a talk show, not an activist. I'm not in charge of our democracy I'm just going to kind of entertain you and keep you slightly mildly informed for the next three hours. That's kind of the gig you've signed up for here. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Crowd's fired up today. So, yes, be a Republican, be a Democrat. All we ask is that you don't be a. There it is. Happy Tuesday. It's a busy day for your radio, buddy. I was on Fox and Friends this morning. If you missed it, it'll be on the Fox Across America website. It's actually there as we speak. I just got off the TV with Stuart Varney over on the Fox Business Network. And tonight you will see me in the 10 p.m. hour with Laura Ingram trying to hold this country together. But we begin, as we always do, with some you and me time on the radio. Let me tell you where we're at today. And I find this so fascinating. I find it so funny. And it's such a good comeuppance. Okay, if you remember... When Biden ran for president in 2020, he was being mocked for the fact that he stayed in his basement. That was the running joke. I mean, you heard it to the point of exhaustion. This guy's in the basement. The media is running for him. And that very much was the gig. They didn't let Biden out of the basement. They didn't stick him in front of live ammo because they weren't sure what was going to come out of his mouth. You have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. That clip when he said that to Charlemagne. That was the end of the campaign. You never saw him out there again because they just didn't know how it was going to go. They stuck him in front of a crowd with a teleprompter. They still didn't know how it would end. We hold these truths to be self-evident. All men and women created by go. You know, the, you know, the thing. But understand in the run up to the 2020 election, they were so hell bent on stopping Trump that not only were they on board with hiding Biden, 
but they were on board with hiding the Hunter Biden laptop, which very much implicates Joe Biden in all kinds of chicanery when it comes to influence peddling overseas. Are you the big man, Joe? Okay, I don't know that he will be held criminally liable for anything his son has done. But I do know this media has been complicit in slow rolling any attempt to get to the truth. This media couldn't censor the Hunter Biden laptop story quickly enough in the summer of 2020 or the fall of 2020 anyway, because they just wanted to win the election. That was the whole point. But now, lo and behold, they won the election. The country's kind of going to hell. I mean, you got inflation at a 40 year high. The border's overrun. Crime's through the roof. It's not good. Okay, Biden's getting ready to launch again. Okay, if you remember, two weeks ago, he posted a video. He didn't go out in front of a big rally and a big crowd and say, we're doing this again. No, they just posted a video and dropped it on the Internet. You got to do better than that. And it's not just me saying that. It's the media as a whole are starting to voice a lot of frustration. But what I find funny is that they're only in this position Because they created it. Bingo. Okay, but let me read you this Washington Post article really quick because I found it so funny. President Biden hasn't dropped the microphone. He appears to have lost it. Mr. Biden is turning into a news media evader, and it's harmful to his presidency and the nation. In the past hundred years, only Presidents Richard M. Nixon and Ronald Reagan averaged fewer news conferences than Mr. Biden. In parentheses, a news conference involves the president taking questions from multiple reporters. A one-on-one interview with a hand-picked journalist doesn't count. So far in 2023, Mr. Biden has done zero solo news conferences. He did conduct two joint news conferences in which the president and a visited foreign leader faced the media together. It should not take a visit from Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau or South Korean President Yoon suk Yeol for the American public to hear the president answering urgent questions from a free press, which begs the question, if they really felt that way, why are they only speaking up now? I think he's got a point. Okay, he hasn't been doing this for the entirety of his administration. If you remember, this started with him going longer than any president in history without giving a press conference. Okay, and when he did give the press conference, if you remember, he called on a predetermined, pre-selected list of reporters. Biden's lost his marbles. That was the sentiment going in. That was the sentiment going out when he was doddering and slow. and You know, the rapidly rising uh, um, uh, in with, uh, with uh, I don't know, uh, And was the media saying anything then? The answer would be no. No. You see, they created this scenario. And I told you this three years ago. Okay, I'm not on the air as a Republican or like some Fox News strongman. Yo, I'm just your chubby teammate, baby. This is America. You don't have to agree with me politically. We are on the same team, girlfriend. It's how it works. You can be Democrat, you can be Republican, Libertarian. doesn't matter. When push comes to shove, we're all on the same damn team. And the point I've been making for three years is people on the left think the media is helping them out. They're not helping you out. Your team is not the Democratic Party. My team is not the Republican Party. The team is America. Freedom! That's the team. Okay, and when the media goes out and hides one political party, 
sweeps their dirt, you know, dirty laundry under the rug, they're not actually helping you. Like the goal isn't to win an election. The goal is to flourish as a nation. That's true. That is true. But are we flourishing as a nation under this president? The answer would be no. And we saw everything we're enduring right now on the way to the election. Yes, people thought Trump was bad. COVID was bad. There was societal unrest in the aftermath of the George Floyd video. Okay, it was a bad time to be. But that doesn't excuse the media from their obligation to hold people in power and people potentially in power accountable. But that's exactly what they did. So let me read you a little more of this, okay? Because this is the Washington Post. They can't believe it. I can't believe this president that none of us were allowed to interview on the campaign trail. I can't believe this president that had no events. Never came out of his house. I can't believe we're not getting more press access. Really? Thank you for the education, gentlemen. We've just received a Ph.D. in stupidity. Okay, you signed up for this, Washington Post. But let me give you a little more of this. Presidents also typically interact informally with the media, answering a few questions on the way to an event. Mr. Biden doesn't do many of those exchanges either. According to the American Presidency Project Tracker, Mr. Biden even joked at the recent White House Correspondents' Dinner about how infrequently he takes questions from reporters. In a lot of ways, this dinner sums up my first two years in office. I'll talk for 10 minutes, take zero questions, and cheerfully walk away. The president and his team promised transparency. Instead, he is stonewalling the media. It happened again on Monday. Mr. Biden appeared alongside Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg to brief reporters on new efforts to force airlines to compensate passengers when a flight is canceled. As soon as his remarks ended, Mr. Biden turned and walked off, ignoring questions from reporters. This comes after the president claimed Friday that he was going to do a major press conference that evening. In reality, he was doing an MSNBC interview. We have a president that is clearly not all there. So Biden literally walked out Friday morning. Hey, I'm doing a big press conference tonight. Buckle up. Here we go. And the media was like, oh, yeah, finally. Thank goodness. It's so funny, man. And this is exactly what happened. He set them on. They're like, oh, no. And now they're mad. Okay. Let me give you a little more. Taking questions from the media promotes public accountability. It also shows that the president is willing to defend his positions and instills confidence that he can do the job. It is widely known that Mr. Biden is gaff prone and that news conferences are not his forte. But as he runs for a second term, he should be eager to show he can handle all aspects of the job. Pick up the microphone, Mr. President. The media is not your enemy. I'll lead an effective strategy to mobilize true international effort to pressure. Now, the truth is Biden did pick up the microphone yesterday. Biden was speaking yesterday. I don't remember that ever happening. But it did. And uh, they're having a national medals presentation, national medals of the arts and the humanities. This is Biden, of course, working with a teleprompter, but in a nutshell, explaining why they don't let him anywhere near the press. This is clip 12. I honored a group of trailblazing artists with National Medals of Arts and Humanities. The group included groundbreaking Asian-Americans like Vera Wang and, and, and Joan Shingang, I'm going to pronounce it, Shanga Kawawa. I think I pronounced it correctly. She can call me Joe Bidden. What? We've got here is failure to communicate. 
I mean, yo, that's not acceptable. Okay, it's not acceptable from a Republican. It's not acceptable from a Democrat. This man needs a retirement home and a warm bowl of soup. But that's why you see the effort being made by the Democratic Party. They've already said we have no debates. We're not having no debates. But what do you mean? We've got two Democrats running. He's being primaried. Marianne Williamson is running. Robert F. Kennedy's running. No debates. They're just, no, you don't get a debate. This is politics as usual. But again, why are they doing that? They're playing a prevent defense with the president because he's a liability in front of a microphone. And, you know, some of the networks can pretend this is okay, but a lot of them are starting to get frustrated. And the reason they're starting to get frustrated is not because they care. They don't care. They knew that this was an empty suit. They knew the elevator didn't go all the way to the top floor in 2020. We watched him. And we were all like, ah, oh, this is sad. It's not nice that they do this. To What are they doing this to the poor guy for? They just wanted to be Trump so bad. They didn't care that they put the country in a position where we had a president that was perceived on the world stage as... The man is insane. He's not responsible for himself. Okay, world leaders do not form their opinions of this president based on what anyone is telling them at CNN. CNN is the worst. Okay, they don't go, oh, well, CNN says he's sharp, so I guess we're good then. We won't form our own opinion on the fact that he quits talking in the middle of a sentence because he's done. No, no, the fact that he's shaking hands with invisible people, they say it's fine. I was just, I was watching CNN a minute ago. They said it was A-OK. People aren't buying it, CNN, you dumb bastards. Okay, but that's the point. Everybody in the media was complicit in putting our country into the position we're in now. The reason, are you ready for it, that they're finally just speaking out is they realize it's a liability in the 2024 election and they want to whack them, get them off the ticket while they still can. Oh, wow. That's what's going on here. Okay, polling came out over the weekend, the ABC News poll says 32% of the American public believes he is mentally fit to be president. Come on, man. 32% say he's mentally fit. I mean, we have 68%, 68% of the public does not think he is mentally fit to be president. If you like Biden so much, name three of his complete sentences. And the Democrats realize this is a liability. So they're speaking out against Biden, not because they care about America, like, oh, we can't have this president who's a mess. We already have a president who's a mess. They're fine with that. They signed up for that. Done deal. They shook hands on that deal. You go in the basement, have some pudding, watch a little bonanza. You'll have the public appearance schedule of a groundhog. And when you come out of the basement at the end of the fall, you'll be the president. And that's what they did. Trump ran against the media. The media ran against Trump. There were more Elvis sightings in the summer of 2020 than there were Joe Biden sightings. People didn't believe you. Like, yeah, you saw Biden. Yeah, right. Put on your little tinfoil hat there, you wacko. You didn't see Joe. I'm like, no, I'm telling you. I did. He did a rally. They're like, yeah, okay. I'll just pull out my invisible typewriter and write a little report on your little Biden sighting, you wacko bird. That's what they did. But you understand what they're doing now is not speaking up out of concern for the country. They're speaking up out of concern for their political party. They realize if this guy is on the ticket and the American voter is tasked with signing off on six more years of this guy in the White House, there is no way in hell they're going to win that election. So they're calling it out now while they still have a chance. Ah, you have a good eye, my man. 
critics are calling it the funniest show on the radio. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, maybe. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. I almost had it. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Let me give you a quick clip from CNN. No, God! No, I gotta do it. You stop it. Behave. Here it is. Clip 15. In the first real snapshot, if you will, of President Biden's standing since his re-election announcement, voters are saying he has real work to do. And that's even among his own party. A new Washington Post ABC News news poll found that 58 percent of Democrats and Democratic leaning independents that they want the party, their party, to nominate someone else. Biden's overall approval rating remains underwater as well. Thirty six percent approval, according to the Washington Post ABC News poll. That's the lowest for any American president at this point in their first term. That's dating back to Harry Truman. Oh, I'm in trouble. Yo, think about that. That is the lowest recorded number for anybody dating back to Harry Truman. You understand what's going on right now in the media. This happened before the midterms as well. If you remember in the run up to the midterms, everybody thought the left was going to get clobbered. They were forecasting a red wave. People were so sure of it that they were preemptively blaming Biden and kind of greasing the skids to get rid of him in the aftermath by saying, hey, this is his fault, he's old, he's unpopular, the policies aren't working, inflation's high, the border's a mess, we need a new guy. That was the plan going into the midterms. But lo and behold, they exceeded everybody's expectation. It turned out abortion was a bigger driving force to the polls than anyone had anticipated. And in a lot of close races, even New York being an example, the Democrats held on to gubernatorial seats and held on to a slim majority in the Senate based on nothing more than a boost in turnout on behalf of abortion. Lo and behold, heading back into the 2024 race, they don't expect abortion to carry the race on a national level the way it did. So they're taking another brief window into the idea of punting Biden. Okay, it's not probably going to happen. It's almost impossible to get an incumbent off the ticket, especially when the backup to that incumbent at this point would appear to be Kamala Harris. Kamala's awful with her weird laugh. (laughs) But the media is just, you know, little trial balloons. Hey, you know, he's really not that popular, you guys. Hey, you know, it's not doing a lot of press events, you guys. You know, 32 percent of the people say he's mentally fit, you guys. They're waiting to see if there's some traction because they know this guy can't run again. You say he won't be running a 5K come 2024, let alone the country. So they're trying to hedge their bets while there's still time. We'll get into it. Emily Campagno's coming up. Dr. Nicole Sapphire's coming up. Brian Brenberg's coming up. It's going to be a banger. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton Withrow. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my (laughs) name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you'll subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share.
It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon, 888-788-9910. Going to give you one more clip really quickly from George Stephanopoulos. He was reacting to this ABC poll they, of course, conducted, thinking there would be some type of momentum coming off the news that Biden was launching a re-election bid and he had the big fancy video. And uh, No, ma'am. Uh, Biden is at a number we haven't seen. We haven't seen since before the atomic bomb. (laughs) This is, wow. This is clip 18. President Biden pushing back on questions about his age from Stephanie Rule as he bids for re-election. It's just one of the big challenges he faces now, more revealed by our brand new poll. Political director Rick Klein here to break it down. And Rick, this poll is just brutal for President Biden. Absolutely, George. And you talked earlier about that record low approval rating for President Biden. It's actually six points down just since February. And the skepticism over his leadership extends deep inside his own party. Only 36 percent of Democrats think that their party should nominate Joe Biden for a second term. Fifty eight percent say they would uh, support someone else or prefer someone else. That's despite the fact that the entire DNC and most of the Democratic establishment has rallied behind President Biden. Biden is such a disaster. Okay, understand. Biden is polling low. Just stick with me here. Okay, Donald Trump at this point in his presidency had the entirety of the media and our intel community, guys like Adam Schiff, James Clapper, John Brennan, they were all going on TV night in, night out, three years, claiming that Donald Trump was a Russian asset controlled by Vladimir Putin. Whenever anyone talks to you about right-wing conspiracies, there has never been a bigger conspiracy in the history of this country than the sitting president of the United States is controlled by Russia. This is an Austin Powers movie. Dr. Evil has hacked the White House, and he's now running things from a foreign country. You shut your mouth, you bastard! They did not shut their mouths every night for three years. And having said all of that, Trump was still polling higher than Biden is right now. This could be a problem. Because you understand, it's a huge problem. Because Trump had three years of the entire media straight pretending, and we knew it was pretend at the time, that was the point. Okay, the Mueller probe was based entirely on Hillary Clinton's opposition research. It was not designed to find collusion. It was designed to force Trump into a self-destructive maneuver where the death by a thousand cuts scenario of one anonymously sourced bombshell after the other would eventually get him to fire Robert Mueller and create the perception that there was a there there. He knows what he's talking about. That's why when the probe finally ended and they had, I mean, nothing, like not even a little, not even something, the media narrative immediately shifted to, well, Bill Barr, he's not showing it. That's the problem. They got the collusion. He just won't show it. Journalism in this country is dead and buried. They had nothing. They nothing. Okay, Donald Trump, this whole thing. And it's not me defending Trump. It's me defending our country, dude. They ripped our country in half because people's emotions are their facts. If your trusted news source tells you every night for three years that Trump is a Russian asset and then the report comes out and people weren't equipped emotionally to move on. So half of the country still carrying on is if he is a Russian asset. That's why the media gets so hopped up about Russia. Russia is a gas station with nukes. 
as John McCain famously said. Yes, Putin is a thug and a war criminal and a dirtbag, but Russia isn't a top 10 threat to our country right now. No one near it. Okay, I understand we don't sanction what they're doing in Ukraine. We need it to end. But the point is the media sold such a bag of goods against Trump. Consequently, they've gone the other way with Biden. Up until about now, they've been telling you the guy had things under control. No, you don't understand. Joe Biden's as sharp as a tack. That is a fact check false. But they were complicit in trying to sell that reality. They knew he wasn't doing press conferences a year ago. They knew he wasn't doing press conferences two years ago. Okay, they know the border numbers are the highest they've ever been in the history of the country. They know inflation's at a 40-year high. Yet they didn't report on any of this. That's why I don't read the newspaper, because it's garbage. And the editor that let it come out is garbage. They just didn't care. So you understand, Biden's at a place right now that is, it's a stunning number because he managed to get to this number without anyone actually acknowledging the failings. Okay, of this administration, they don't talk day in and day out about the border and how fentanyl's the number one cause of adult death. They don't tell you that inflation's at a 40 year high and it's crippling senior citizens, single parents, people on a fixed income in any capacity are getting crushed right now. They don't talk about the fact that the gas prices are up and it's our fault, not Putin's, not OPEC's, not anybody else's. We were energy independent. Energy independent means anything else happening in the world doesn't affect our energy prices. But we relinquished our energy independence in the name of placating the green energy wing of the party. They're crazy. They're crazy. They're also stupid. They are stupid. Let me explain this to you, okay? We produce fuel 42% cleaner than anybody we import it from, okay? So you understand, instead of producing it cleaner here, strengthens our economy, yes, lowers emissions, okay, we're now outsourcing that production to filthier countries, meaning we are, number one, creating more pollution, number two, weakening our economy, but number three, really think about this, We are burning twice as much fuel because we now need fuel just to get it back into our country. Well, that's the dumbest thing I've heard of. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Get out of here and take your mother with you. Okay, that's who this president is. They have crippled our economy. Opened our our border is wide open. Byron Donald said yesterday it's nickel beer night. Remember when you were in college and you found out a place had nickel beer night? And they weren't checking for IDs. What happened? Everybody who didn't belong in the bar headed for the bar. That's what's going on at our southern border right now. It's nickel beer nights. Wide open. Anybody can get in. Come on down. So Biden's managed to get to this historically low approval rating without any actual acknowledgement or discussion of just how much he has tangibly harmed the quality of life in this country. And what they're bracing for now with this Title 42 coming off the books in two days is an influx of at least 35,000 migrants right away. Okay, we've had in the past week 19,200 gotaways, meaning people at our southern border that made it in. We don't even know where they went. Okay, do you understand? It's not good, man. I'm not saying there's like a, a racist or any, you know, the Democrats tried to tell you under Trump that securing the border was racist. 
even though they had voted for border wall funding under George W. Bush and under Barack Obama. When Trump came down the escalator and he was like, build a wall, the Democrats were like, oh, hell no. We got to be building bridges, not wall. Who's this maniac? That's just how white folks will do you. Understand, they themselves had voted for a wall in the past. That's the hypocrisy of this moment. So because they characterized border security as some type of a discriminatory act, okay, they've now opened up our border and it's become something people from about 68 different countries are exploiting every single day. They're not coming across our border exclusively from Mexico or South American nations. People are now flying from the other side of the world and just coming across our southern border because that's the position Biden put us in. You have no idea how to defend a nation. None. Okay, here's Chris Cabrera. He is the vice president of the National Border Patrol Council. These poor guys are tasked with protecting our border. Here he is telling Neil Cavuto where this heads. Clip two. They've had uh, quite a while to get a handle on this, uh, especially when it was one or two areas in Texas that we were dealing with. Now it's spread out all across the southern border. It's spreading across to the northern border and even to some of our coastal areas like like Miami. Um, It's not going to take long for us to to breach the 100,000 mark. Um, after after May 11th, um, it, it's it's going to be one of the most notable times I've seen since I've been in the Border Patrol. I mean, think about that. This is the guy who's doing the gig. This is not like some Trump surrogate or a guy in the DeSantis campaign trying to score points. This is the guy in charge of policing the border. Okay, they're flat out telling you we don't have the resources. We're completely overrun. They've rescinded policies that used to protect this country, and they did so in the name of politics. Here's Steve Scalise, uh, and he was talking about how this could be ended with the stroke of a pen. It's clip six. Secretary Mayorkas has paid lip service, telling everybody the border's not open. Of course, everybody knows the border's open, including people all around the country, not, um, all around the world, not just South and Central America. We're seeing over 140 countries represented coming in illegally to our border, and it's only going to get worse with the end of Title 42. This bill shows you how you can get full secured border uh, if they wanted to go that route. But again, uh, go look at the first two years of Joe Biden's presidency when Secretary Marica said Congress should act. They had the House, Senate, and White House, and they never tried to act. In fact, it was administrative action that opened up the border. So President Biden, with the stroke of a pen, could solve this problem right now. He doesn't want to. That's the truth. They don't want to go near border policing because they characterized it as racist. And it's so crazy, but these racism in in the modern body politic, it caters to the most intellectually lazy people among us, people who don't want to do a second of thinking. They just want to be told what to think. They want the moral superiority that comes with calling someone racist or lesser than, so they sell them the race card when it comes to every issue known to man. Democrats just call everyone racist so they go along with their stupid ideas. But it's true. I mean, everything's, well, there's, you know, securing the southern border, that's racist. Never mind that their party voted for wall funding under the two previous presidents. They decried it as racist because low, intellectually lazy, low IQ people go, oh, yeah, well, because Mexico's attached to the country. They must be, you know, racist against Mexicans. Okay. Meanwhile, back at the ranch, people are coming across the border from just about every country in the world. 
but it has nothing to do with the ethnicity. The reason you secure your border is the reason every country secures their border. It's the front door of your house. You have to know what's coming in. You have to know what's going out. And if someone's coming into the house to live in the house and you now have to pay for the whole thing, I promise you, you might have the biggest heart in the world. There's going to come a point where you can't afford to pay for the whole thing anymore because you've just taken in too many people. That's why we support legal immigration. But if you are a low IQ voter, if you are an intellectually lazy voter, you can see wall security as racist. You can see border security as racist. You don't take that extra step to go, well, are they anti-immigration as a whole? Because they're not. The Republican Party says migrate here legally, buy into the system, pay taxes, be a contributing member of someone who's pursuing the American dream. That's the whole point. The Republicans aren't saying no, no immigration. They're saying we just want legal immigration. It's safer for them. It's safer for us. But the Democrats are like, that's racist. And for enough people, they can be like, well, hey, well, I'm not racist. At least I know better than these White people in the middle of the country and down in the south, how dumb are they, honey, in their affordable mansions with their low stress and high quality of life? Those idiots. Anyway, I've got nine roommates. It's $7,500 a month for a studio apartment, and there's a pantless hobbit fondling himself every time we walk the dog in the morning. But at least I'm not dumb like those people. That's what goes on. They're, they're, the left is selling confirmation bias to self-hating white people. Just turn on MSNBC every night. They'll tell you who you're better than every night. Well, you're better than these people in Florida. Oh, you're better than those people in Ohio. That's what they do. Okay, and understand they sell these intellectually lazy people on the idea that border security was racist. Every single person nodding along when Joe Scarborough tells you it's racist locks their door when they go to bed at night. They probably even turn on a doorbell cam so they can see who's coming and going. What's the difference between them and anything going on at the southern border? I'm telling you, that boy's a genius. Seriously, there is no difference. That's the point. And I'm not a genius. This is just basic entry-level thought process here. Common sense stuff. But the reason Biden can't pick up the stroke of a pen and go, fine, you got me. We'll build a wall. Fine, you got me. We'll re-implement the Remain in Mexico policy. These were things that cut illegal border crossings by 80%. And they did away with them. One, because they couldn't allow the Republicans to have a political win. They don't want to be able to say, well, you know, the Republican policies worked at the border. So, you know, we argued over that. But at the end of the day, they were right. That's how you're supposed to run a country. You're supposed to run it with the greater good in mind. Oh, well. Hey, you know what? I got to take the L on this one. I didn't think it was going to work, but it worked. They're doing a good job, but we don't do that. Okay, and we don't do it with matters of grave consequence. The border, people are dying. People are dying trying to get here. People are getting sexually assaulted by cartels along the way. And And nationally, we've hit a record level of fentanyl poisoning deaths. All of this is happening, made possible, exacerbated, because of the need to score political points. Well, we can't further those policies that guy implemented that were working. That's a win for them. Oh, great. So kill it with an executive order and it becomes a loss for all of us. That's what's going on in this country right now. And when Title 42 ends on Thursday, it's ending, okay, months after they tried to end it. Understand, they tried to end this. It went to the Supreme Court. They fought to the death over this one. Title 42 is a COVID-era screening mechanism designed to make sure people coming across the border have been properly screened for a virus 
that forced you to get a vaccine or you couldn't have a job, that forced you to wear a mask or you couldn't go on a plane, that forced you to take a COVID test or you couldn't come into work. That's what Title 42 was, okay? They tried to implement it at the border to control the flow of untested, unchecked migration into the country, and the Biden administration was like, no, that's racist. Let them in. COVID schmovid. You can go get a vaccine as a citizen. You can lose your job as a citizen. But if somebody wants to come into the country illegally unvaccinated, what's the difference? Okay, and to be honest with you, in their eyes, there is not a difference because you're not the priority anymore as a U.S. citizen. Welcome to the Biden administration, home to the new slogan, America last. You're riding around with America's cabbie. Taxi! Taxi! You're hanging out with Jimmy Fallon on Fox Across America. I honored a group of trailblazing artists with National Medals of Arts and Humanities. The group included groundbreaking Asian Americans like Jerry Wang and, and, and Joan Shingang, Shanga Kawawa. I think I pronounced it correctly. She can call me Joe Bitten. Have you ever had a checkup? Uh, he has not had uh, that checkup, and so far as we know, it has not been shared with the public if he has. Dr. Nicole Sapphire is going to stop by in the next hour to weigh in on the possibility of Biden representing us in the White House. Yo, we have almost six more years of this to go. If he serves two terms, there's just no way. I mean, listen, I hear the people in the party. No, he's got this. Biden's got it under control. Come on, don't bullshit. Seriously. And I listen, I want to believe that having a second term might make Jill Biden a better president, but she's done a terrible job in the first term. I can't see her doing any better in the second. Live from everywhere USA, it's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, you bet it is. We're getting ready for a wild one in this hour. Emily Campagno, she's, of course, the co-host of Outnumbered, the host of the Fox True Crime podcast, going to weigh in on some comments from The View. The View is awful. Oh, is it ever? It's getting worse by the second. We're also going to talk to Dr. Nicole Sapphire, who has a new children's book out and is also going to be weighing in on the state of our president, who, I got to be honest, man, hasn't looked terribly sharp out there in the fleeting moments when he's been around a microphone. Tell him like it is. It's a mess. 888-788-9910 if you want to help us clean it up. Doesn't matter one way or the other. But we begin, this is a, man, we're going on a stupid hunt. Have you ever heard of those, like, luxury country clubs where people pay so much to belong that they they stack the woods? Like, you're going to go hunting and they stack the woods with so many deer, it's a physical impossibility that you don't shoot one. It's like a one-square-mile area, and they put 50,000 deer in it. So it's like you're not even – like the deers are killing themselves at this point, and you're getting to lay claim to a success. You know, or you've heard of those fishing trips where they'll have like a foreign dignitary in town, so they'll bring him to some lake that's been preloaded with extra fish, so all the guy needs to do is look at the water. And he's coming home with two fish, three fish. Wow, I feel good that they, you know, that's what they do. 
to kind of gin people up, get them excited, make them feel good about themselves, give them a favorable impression of the business meeting. Therefore, they're more likely to say yes to the terms of the negotiation, whatever the heck you happen to be negotiating. This is old school stuff. Okay, well, today, in terms of the sound clips we have at our disposal, if you were going into the woods hunting stupid, it would be a physical impossibility not to get some stupid. Okay, it's everywhere you turn. I'm going to start first here in New York, and then we'll work broader. If you followed the news last week, we had a zombie attacker on the subway. We have thousands of them every day. We've defunded most of our mental health infrastructure in the city. We've turned our back, sadly, on a lot of veterans who serve the country. And, of course, we cut a billion dollars uh, from municipal police budgets around the country in the aftermath of the George Floyd killing. That's stupid! Use your common sense. Dumbest thing you've ever heard was defund the police. The dumbest words ever spoken publicly. Can't have a society without the cops. But in any event, the idea that we created this atmosphere that had more empathy for the criminal than the victim or the cop is why we're now faced with a protest over the killing of a zombie attacker by the name of Jordan Neely. Now, I wish the man no ill will. I'm not happy that he's dead. Okay, it's somebody's brother, it's somebody's kid, it's, you know, maybe somebody's uncle, I'm not sure. But Jordan Neely was a drifter who was, at times, a Michael Jackson impersonator on the subway. But around 2012, he became pretty prominent for the wrong reasons, in that he was violent. He was mentally ill, and he had been arrested for violent acts 42 different times. His most recent arrest involved him punching a 67-year-old woman in the face. So last week, when he acted up on the subway, a Marine sprung into action, a white Marine, okay, as well as a black passenger, helped subdue Jordan Neely. Now, the chokehold he put Jordan Neely in, as it turns out, ultimately killed him. Okay, death was ruled a homicide. A homicide does not mean a murder. A homicide means your death was the caused by someone else's actions. Now, if, in fact, it was determined that people's lives were endangered, then the man who put Jordan Neely in a headlock would not be charged. So it's not as simple. It's not as cut and dry as, well, he murdered the guy. Okay, the Democrats would have you believe he murdered the guy because they'd rather talk about fake racism than the real horrors they've committed and created with their policies. That's why AOC went out and called it a lynching. And an execution. AOC is a dope. But why did she say that? Because she was one of the people cheering the loudest to defund cops. This is the squad in the summer of 2020. Yes, I support the defund movement because this is about the the um, investment in our communities, which have historically been divested. Not only do we need to defund, but we need to dismantle and start anew. Why use the word defund? Why use the word defund? And it's like, this is the word that's coming from the streets. I mean, man. You're an idiot! <laughs> this is the word coming. Oh, oh, so it's what the criminals want to do. Okay, yeah, in that case, let's follow their advice. Step into my office. Why? Because you're fired. But AOC wanted to talk back then about defunding police, just like they want to talk right now about arresting this hero who sprung into action. Because people only find themselves in this scenario because of their liberal policies. Okay, the subways in New York City are lawless right now. It's a, 27 people have died this year. Is anybody talking about that in the media? The fact that 27 people have been killed? The answer would be no. Killed, thrown in front of the train, stabbed, shot. That's our mass transit system in New York City right now. 27 people have died. 
Okay, a zombie attacker was threatening people on the train, women and children, the vast majority of which were minorities. But because a white Marine, with the assistance of a black passenger, subdued this man, he did ultimately die. I'm not happy about that. They want to scream and yell about racism instead of the real problem, which is mental illness on the subway, which is lawlessness in our streets. Okay, they're yelling and screaming right now about the problem with racism in America. Okay, understand, they shut down our subway system over the weekend. They jumped on the tracks, wouldn't let the trains go by because of the problem with the indifference. You know, black lives matter, they yelled. We can't be a society so indifferent to black death, they yelled. And I absolutely agree with them. I don't know anyone who doesn't. Okay, but let me give you some data. Okay, last year, 10 thousand black people sadly tragically were killed by other black people 10,000 10,000 do you know how many black people were killed by a white guy on a subway one now I'm not saying we can't walk and chew gum I'm not saying we shouldn't go after both but the point is we're only going after the one that is politically viable we're only going after the one that'll get clicks in the media So we've shut down the subway system over one zombie attacker who was attacking fellow minorities on the subway. But because he was put in a chokehold by a white guy, burn it all down. Let's go loot a store. Come on. Black lives matter. But do they? If 10,000 black people can kill 10,000 black people in a year and no one in the Democratic Party says a word, the black lives matter really matter to them? The answer would be no. It's all political posturing. It's all a brand exercise. It's ridiculous. Democrats are so full of crap. They really are. But here's Sonny Hostin on The View. I hate to do this to you, but if I got to listen to this crap, so do you. Here's Sonny Hostin talking about how we're re-victimizing the victim. Take it away. I have a different take on it in in that, one, we are re-victimizing this victim by talking about the fact that he had been arrested. The reason he had so many um, mental health issues is because he saw the brutal murder of his mother at the age of 14. Uh, When he was recently arrested, rather than put him in jail, they actually, he pled guilty, and he was sentenced, sentenced to live at a Bronx treatment facility, take his medication, and stay clean for 15 months. Unfortunately, he left the place mm-hmm. after 13 days. So this is a troubled person yeah. who needed help. You don't have a clue. Now, listen, I'll agree. This is a troubled person that needed help. No question. Fine. Okay. But this is the sad, hard reality of the time we live in. Okay. Yes, there are broken people out there among us who are capable of violent acts. And yes, they might have had a bumpy road in life that got them to where they are. But once you're walking the streets of society with no regard for the human life around you, our empathy and our consideration has to go towards the potential victims and the law-abiding citizens. Bingo. I'm not happy this guy had a rough ride. I'm not happy that he's mentally ill. I'm not happy that he's addicted to drugs. But you understand this idea where we have to choose between the broken person or the people he might kill. Okay, guy punched a 67-year-old woman in the face. This is not a guy walking the streets, you know, that's just happy to be here. But that's how they try to portray it. Let me give you a little more. Because Sonny Hostin is saying, well, you know, people should have just given the guy money. Okay, listen to this clip. It's clip two. 
The other thing I, I think is important to say, let's put this in context. Yes, he was on the train. I ride the train. I've been riding the train in New York City since I was 12 years old. This is what he was doing. He was shouting that he was hungry, that he was thirsty, and he had little to live for. Hungry, thirsty, and little to live for. And that totally... Where was the humanity of anyone that was on that train? I would have given him money. I would have tried to give him food. I would have tried to help. This is someone in need, in desperate need. And I am ashamed that someone that was part of our armed forces decided to become a vigilante and kill him. You were lying your ass off. Let me, first of all, Sonny Hostin, I've been to about five media parties. Five media parties where, like, people are in, like, suits, okay? They're wearing pants. You know, they have shoes on. <laughs> and she doesn't talk to them. She's not talking to anybody, let alone the homeless guy on the train who's actually saying, I don't care if I die. I'm about to start killing people up in here and starts throwing things at people. Okay, a mentally unstable person who, again, I'm not happy he finds himself in that condition. But the point is, it's like a zombie movie. You ever watched a zombie movie where two people are best friends and then the one guy turns and sees his buddy's eyes have turned yellow and he's been bit by the thing and now it's like a you or him scenario? Sadly, on our subway, we wind up in that situation all the time now. And rather than going after the elected leaders who've created this problem— who failed the Jordan Neelys of the world. We're now training all of our energy on the vigilantes that are willing to step up. Okay, the fact remains we shouldn't need them, but we do. So when Sonny Hostin tries to repurpose this as well, we need to have empathy for the attackers here. You know, a guy had a rough upbringing. I'm sure he did, and I'm not happy that he did. But the sad reality of this moment is there are thousands of Jordan Neelys walking the streets. And if we don't actually do something about what's causing this problem, which is one party rule not needing to deliver safety for its constituents because people will just keep voting Democrat no matter how disgusting and filthy this city gets, you're only going to get more of what you already have. But when Sonny Hostin starts, oh, I would have talked to him, I would have given him money. Sonny Hostin doesn't give him anything. She's not giving anybody the time of day. Okay, and these are not people who can be spoken to. Okay, when you've been arrested 42 times and you're punching old women in the face, there's not a reasonable conversation to be had. Okay, and that's the biggest problem with the moment we happen to find ourselves in right now is we're arguing, we're debating, we're challenging, we're ostracizing, we're protesting, we're doing everything except focusing on the real problem. And I'm out here in the real world and I know what's right or wrong or bullshit. The show not afraid to call out both sides of the aisle. He's the other side's worst nightmare. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Our engineer Josh is the closest thing to a snake charmer. That exists in polite society. And what I mean by that is Josh is always tasked with playing the type of music that'll get our next guest under control. Because we could tell she was running a little hot when she walked in. She's the co-host of Outnumbered, but I believe we got the snake back out of the jar on peaceful terms. Emily Campagno? Literally everyone, that is not what happened at all. <laughs> I like slowly sauntered in. Hey guys, happy Tuesday. 
This one was grumbling in the corner, and then they happened to play a really good song, and I said, this song's awesome. All right, let me just clean this up, just so we're clear, because she is rocking out. There's snapping, and things are going on right now. I, I didn't necessarily mean you were running hot like you were in a bad mood. You were going to throw something. I just meant that Josh is actually tasked, though, with getting, the, getting us the good Emily. So he has to sit there and play his little flute before you come on the air. And it's just, it's funny because I wasn't even looking at you. I was just listening to the music coming back from break. And I made the, and I, over my shoulder, I see you dancing. So the snake charmer has succeeded is the point. True. I'm perfectly coiled with a happy smile. You are. You did a good job. I was just trying to give him credit. And you're like, don't we talk about me like that for? Good to see you, Em. Happy to see you. Hey, guys. Uh, Emily is the host of the Fox News True crime comedy, comedy, true crime podcast, not comedy. You'll get us in trouble. Uh, and I understand this week I was told, you told me this, and I appreciate this. It's a serious episode, so I don't want to clown what's going on, as I might be want to do. <laughs> what happened on the pod, Em? Yeah, this this is really an amazing week, everyone. Um, Yolanda Silvera, mm-hmm. she was the final would-be murder victim of a prolific serial killer in New Jersey, She was left for dead after a brutal assault and being shot in the head, but she survived. And not only did she survive, but she went on to be able to testify at that monster's trial, help put him away for life. And now against all of the odds and all of the doctor's prognoses, she can walk, she can talk, she lives on her own. And her story, as told by her... It's incredible. Um, it's it's absolutely humbling. It was an honor to have her share it with us. And that's what we have this week on the Fox True Crime Podcast with Emily Campagno. So I urge all of you to listen to it because while it seems um, terrifying and at times it is, really it is a story of triumph, of hope, and as she says, of faith because she never gave up. Wow, that's really wild stuff. Um, whenever, I, whenever I hear these stories, right, because I was seeing I, the promo for this where I saw you interviewing her. It's really powerful stuff, but it also makes me walk away feeling like such an underachiever because people overcome so much, you know, and I'm sitting here like, oh, I'm a little tired. I got to talk on the radio for three hours. These people are like heroic. There's like a real profile and courage, uh, and it's definitely worth checking out. What uh, They can get it anywhere they get a podcast. This is the part I screw up every week. We always talk about the show, <laughs> but I should tell them where they can get it, and they can get it just about anywhere. Uh, is is there any way they can't get it at this point? No, I mean, this you, is a big pod. Yeah, you guys can get it everywhere you listen to and subscribe and download podcasts. It's free. You can listen to it everywhere. But Jimmy, I want to make an mm-hmm. important point to what you just said, mm-hmm. which is that for us, it's an honor to be a messenger for mm-hmm. these angels among us, these yes. heroes among us. So I agree with you. I'm like, what do I even do? We don't mm-hmm. do anything, but we serve as a small messenger yeah. for their good works, for their stories, and that in and of itself provides the important value because without being mm-hmm. us being honored by these platforms to yeah. be able to share their stories, well, that's the truth. they wouldn't get it out. Yeah, you're trying to use the platform for good and be a yeah. force multiplier for people who might not otherwise get that attention. You know, I, that's, I have, the, that's the point. Yeah. And I have to say, too, you know, she was in a coma for six months and the doctors didn't think she could hear. She mm. overheard everything. She said, I heard everything in that room for six months, including the doctor saying she's not going to survive. She's going to be a vegetable. Her life is not worth living. These oh, are wow. direct quotes. Wow. Thank God that she woke up and, and proved them wrong. And I, I just 
I think the lesson here as well is, you know, never give up on the human spirit. Of course, never give up faith. And also, watch what you say in a hospital room. I can't oh, imagine man. what your family will lot, say if you're lot, in there. Jenny's of... like, pull the plug, quick! Like, like Mrs. Mrs. Failey just needs two stitches. Yeah. He just has, a cut on his, arm. just has a cut on his thumb, Mrs. Failey. Blue shot today. He wouldn't want to live like this. Let's cash the insurance. Jenny said, yeah, she's sitting in the waiting room with a Ferrari manual <laughs> trying to figure out, should I get a six-speed? How do we do this, Link Man? She's so, she's so wood, too. That's so true, Emily. Well, the pod, it's the Fox News True Crime Podcast. It's an epic. Everyone should listen to it, like, multiple times. I've really enjoyed the ride-along. Like, I know we've been talking about it on the show every week, but I, wow, I actually really like the hang, and it's cool to see you in your natural habitat, Aww. you know? It, no, it is. People need to see more of that, Em. I actually think it's a win for the American people. Does that sound sincere? I rehearsed it all morning. (laughs) So hard. Flawless delivery. All right, we nailed it. All right, get the flute out, Josh. She's got to go. Play her out. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, the great Emily Campagno. We miss you already, pal, but we'll do it again soon. Everybody watch Outnumbered every day at 12 noon. We're back after this on Fox Across America. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Now, I make it a habit to keep every one of my campaign promises on this show. And one of the promises I've been making for quite some time is that we were eventually going to have a Fox Across America karaoke night uh, with this next guest. Well, I have found out uh, why we haven't been able to make that happen just yet. It's because she's been out writing yet another book. Uh, She's, of course, already the author of Panic Attack, which we couldn't get enough of on this show. We quote it chapter and verse every day. Uh, But she's got a new release out now that she wrote with her son, Hudson. I'm talking about Dr. Nicole Sapphire. Hey, girl. Hey, thanks for having me. So, yeah, a children, when you're writing a children's book, you shouldn't be anywhere near karaoke with the Fox crew. So I actually, I'm, I'm excusing your absence from the karaoke circuit. You know I would make time for you. I, I kind of think you would, but my concern then is I don't want you showing up to karaoke night in children's author mode singing the wheels on the bus. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so. Yeah, you know, I will say, though, my children's book is a little bit less wheels on the bus and mm-hmm. more like, uh, hey, maybe we should get back to the point where we're actually focusing on family and celebrating family. Well, I love the idea. So the book is called That's What Family's For. And, you know, it's based, I would I would say, not too loosely on an experience you had with your son, Hudson, uh, about discovering what's most important in life. Is that the best way to characterize this? Absolutely. So last summer, full disclosure, Hudson mm-hmm. was given some bad news from a doctor mm-hmm. um, that really kind of rocked our family's world. Ouch. And he decided to start writing a lot. And we decided to channel what was kind of a negative time in our family and turn it into something positive. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we're looking around us right now, it's like a world of chaos and it feels every day that society is trying to separate parents from their children. Mm -hmm. And so the whole moral of this book is to, you know, get rid of the chaos around you and let's get back to the house and focus on our family. Because especially when you're dealing with hard times, that's when family is the most important thing. Yeah, you know, it's so funny that you say that because there is this story in the news right now where the kicker from the Kansas City Chiefs spoke at a commencement ceremony at Georgia Tech over the weekend. And he said, you know, he's a two-time Super Bowl winner. 
But he said the best advice he could give these college graduates was to get married and start a family because there was nothing more rewarding than, you know, living your life for that higher purpose. Don't you feel like on some level, like people really are missing the boat in that regard because we're not emphasizing family. And I think we grew up in a happier generation uh, where we did probably have a bigger emphasis on the home. Oh, undoubtedly. I mean, the entire family unit is being destroyed right now. Uh, You have, I mean, you have parents who are speaking up at school board meetings being called terrorists because they want to be involved in what their children are being educated on. I mean, it is crazy right now that you have politicians who don't think that parents should be involved. And if you can just go back to the time where you had your friends, you had school, you had your job, but at the end of the day, the anchor, the foundation was that family unit that is a much better time. Now we're seeing the mental health crises, the loneliness epidemic, the rise in obesity and physical illnesses. That's because we've gotten away of our personal interactions, specifically that with our family. That's such a great point. We're talking to Dr. Nicole Sapphire. The new book, uh, it's called That's What Family's For. And it's about the beauty of relying on one's family when tough times arise. And I can tell you, like, that's the environment I come from. And I say this to people all the time. Like, as a single guy, Doc, um, you know, my decision-making didn't really affect anybody but me. So I was a mess. Like, any type of, you know, professional achievement that I've been able to recognize in the last, you know, five or six years has really been the end result of living my life for other people. You know, when it's just you, you're like, well, yeah, if I want to go to the bar at 2.30 in the morning, who cares, you know? (laughs) But if somebody's got to make it to school at 7, you know, you can only go to the bar so many times. So I think that your family, more than anything else, is a compass. You know, it's a compass in life that everybody benefits so much from if, in fact, they're taught to utilize it. That's why, like you, I'm frustrated by the direction we're going in, especially at schools where they're trying to cut parents out of the process. Because wouldn't you say as someone who's raised kids that they evolve so much and they're so impressionable that this idea like we should be allowing them to make permanent life altering decisions without their parents input is almost like abuse, is it not? I think it's disgusting by removing the parents from the decision-making when it comes to our children. At the end of the day, we send our children to school to learn basic arithmetic and the fundamentals of education. They are not to go there to be learning these idealisms and certain cultural things because that comes from the family. And I think that the educational system has completely overstepped the boundaries and have lost sight of what their actual role is, which is why you see parents pulling their children from these public schools and you're going to start seeing tax dollars going away from them as well because it is dwindling it's so crazy we're talking to dr nicole sapphire so let me ask you another question the book is called that's what family's for how is my man hudson doing is he doing better yeah so last summer was pretty devastating he had a little mass removed from his back it turned out to be a very rare nerve sheath tumor which um, comes along with a lot of badness in the future. Uh, mm-hmm. Thankfully, we're in a much better situation now than we were. He's plugged in with all the right specialists. And, you know, he has two doctors for parents, which I don't necessarily know if that's a good thing because <laughs> that probably made our worries worse. Aww. But Hudson's doing great. And, right. you know, mentally and physically, he's strong. And this book really meant a lot to both of us. Well, so no, it's, it's a beautiful book. And everyone should run out and buy it. Um, let me ask you this. On, on some level, did doctors, because comics, okay, I've talked to preachers about this when comics watch comics 
we'll we'll constantly like mu- you know mutter and criticize them under our breath like oh you really you're doing the airline material way to go <laughs> and i was told preachers do the same thing do doctors quietly judge doctors oh quietly i don't know <laughs> i don't know, <laughs> I know it i it's horrible i mean it's awful having a doctor for a patient uh-huh. it's even worse having a doctor's child as your patient so Good luck. Pediatricians, they're not paid enough. I can't even. I can't, I can't even imagine. But I, I listen, I love everything about the story in that you're trying to take something that is, you know, the highest level of adversity any of us can encounter, which is a difficulty facing our child, and channel it into a positive for the rest of the world. It really is commendable stuff that you did here, Doc. And um, anything that force multiplies the importance of family. Like when I look out at society right now, you can see it plaguing us everywhere. Like there's just such a lack of strong parental presence in so many lives. And, you know, no one ever talks about it, but I just think it's such a it's like the most basic thing in the world. Why do you think really quick? How did we wind up where we are? I think is the question I'm trying to figure out if I could diagnose society. Why are we here? Uh, Well, I think it's kind of evolved over time. For the last 50 years, you have women who have gone back to the workforce. They're not full-time in the house. Um, But people are checked out. I mean, Mm -hmm. parents, you think kids spend a lot of time on their phones and social media? Parents spend even more time. So So we have to really kind of redirect ourselves mentally and recommit to what is important. And I can tell you the last year of my life has certainly been about that. I've, I've, my priorities have changed a lot, and I've spent a lot more time at home and a lot more time with my family, and it has meant the world to me. And I just kind of wish it didn't take a diagnosis to do that. And I say that to my patients every day. I'm like, gosh, I wish it didn't take me telling you you have cancer for you to want to live a healthier life. Well, I fell victim to the same thing. I wish it didn't take bad news for me to focus and spend a lot more time at home. But yet here we are, and I'm very happy. Yep, and you're doing something great with it. So everyone needs to go out and get a copy of it. The book is called That's What Family's For. Uh, The perfect Mother's Day present. Thank you. And it's Dr. Nicole Sapphire and Hudson Sapphire. I got to get Hudson on the show. Would he come on the show, or is this too lowbrow for him? Uh, He'd come on. Anything for you. Oh, Hudson. All right. We're going to work this out. Sometimes, because, Doc, you know, we do playground politics on this show once in a while, (laughs) and I bring on my 14-year-old if we can sober him up. Uh, and it might be it might be a good hang for Hudson one of these days, you know, if his, <laughs> if his literary agent will give us the time of day. Uh, but awesome stuff. <laughs> Thanks for the work here, Doc. We'll be in touch. Thanks for having me on. You're the coolest. There she goes. The legendary Dr. Nicole Sapphire. The book is called That's What Family's For. Something you hear me say every day, man, on this show is the greatest thing that ever happened to me was having a kid. It's the greatest thing in the world because I you know, I always had like maybe ambition. Now I'm talking about on a on a selfish level, okay? It is a good career move to have a family if in fact you are a devoted family person, okay? Uh, it's actually great for your career. You sound you think it might be, no, what what are you talking about? You got now you get this family, you got all these bills. But having a family forces you to make smarter decisions because everybody is impacted by the outcome of your choices. And having a child, it also makes you more efficient. When I was just like a single guy, if I needed to mail a bill, it could take me eight to 10 days just to get down to the, you know, Tuesday, I'll maybe I'll buy the stamp 
I could see myself maybe Friday, Saturday getting down. You know, there might be a line Saturday. There's a lot of people come in. I'll wait till Monday. Like you could procrastinate to the moon and back because there was no real urgency in your life. Okay, it would take you a week to mail something as a single guy. You have a kid, and in the two hours that he takes a nap, you could shingle the house. You could do anything, okay, because you become like a ninja. Kids make you more efficient because your free time is no longer your own. You so rarely get it that even if you're a self-absorbed person, if you just fulfill your responsibilities as a parent and a caretaker, you will become more efficient. You will become better at what you do. And then when you just talk about, you know, the profound joy of actually having a family and raising it and, you know, all being in it together and being, you know, your own little us against the world type unit uh, that's just trying to serve as a force multiplier of positive energy everywhere you go. It's just the coolest thing to ever be a part of. Like, I, I to be honest, like I've done so many weird things in life. Nothing like I don't there's nothing in my existence that's agreed with me more Uh, Then running the family that I run, it's not a big family. It's just the three of us. um, But we eat like there's 12 of us. (laughs) We, you know, the weekend comes, we get on that patio. We we eat and drink like there's about 15 of us, you know. Fat, drunk, and stupid is no way to go through life, son. Maybe so. But uh, we're having a hell of a damn good time. And it's funny because we talked about this yesterday. I was on the bottom line with Dagan McDowell and Sean Duffy. Um, The kicker from the Kansas City Chiefs spoke at Georgia Tech over the weekend. And that was his advice. At the commencement speech, he said, get married and have a start a family. And uh, he'll probably never get invited to speak at a college again because they're like, what are you talking about? You got to take out an $800,000 student loan and spend the next 30 years wasting away in a cubicle. Come on. That's where you define happiness. Okay, careers are great. Uh, Money's great. You know, success is great. Any type of relevance and affluence is wonderful. It's things we should all aspire to. But your true wealth in this world really is the spiritual currency that you accumulate. You know, how much fun and joy you know on a day-to-day basis. If you die tomorrow, you're not going to wish you just made a couple bucks more than the next guy. You're not going to wish you were just a little more famous than the other guy. Okay, none of that stuff matters. If you die tomorrow, you're just going to wish you had a little more fun. You know, and I say that every day. It doesn't matter what it says on your business card, what it says on your name tag. You know, you might be a dog groomer. You might be a cop, a fireman, a radio host, an OTR trucker, a cabbie. You know, for all I know, you could be a stripper listening right now. Hubba, hubba. Fine. But the point is you're in the fun business. That's what you do for a living. Okay? Your living is not your job. Your living is your existence. So just get out there and have some damn fun. That's all I would ever ask you to do because that's all you're supposed to be doing. What can I tell you, kid? You're right. When you're right, you're right. You're right. It's the show that never hits the books. I love the poorly educated. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with your main man, Jimmy Fallon. We were just talking to the great Dr. Nicole Sapphire. Her book called That's What Family's For. It's a good Mother's Day gift. Uh, it's about herself and her son and a lot of adversities they've encountered in the past year. Thankfully, they're both doing okay. Uh, but anything that gets this society to reinvest in the importance of the family, okay, is so key and pivotal right now. It's like the purpose of religion, man. Okay, I don't know if you're particularly religious one way or the other. I was raised raised Catholic in my house. Um, but what I always found to be the true deliverable for religion in your life 
is that you are living with an end result in mind. You want to get to heaven someday. That was my goal. You know, I'm going to get to heaven. All right, well, maybe not me. But the point, Jenny will get in, and we'll do some Zooms. Like, we'll have, like, a Zoom meeting, and I could check in on the missus and hear what she's up to. Uh, but the point is, okay, living your life with a greater good in mind. And that basic tenant is what's missing in our society on a political level. No one is living life with a greater good for the country in mind. I mean, to be clear, a lot of you are. I am. But when it comes to our elected officials, everybody's just in a perpetual fight for power. That's what politics have become in this country. You know when two kids are on a road trip and one kid wants to play with the toy, the other kid don't want to share it? No, I don't want to give it to me. That whole thing. And then eventually they just rip the toy in half. That's what's going on in our country right now. We're fighting so hard for control of the country, we're just literally breaking the thing. The border's broken. The economy's broken. Okay, do you know Jerome Powell? We're going to talk about this with Brian Brenberg in the next hour. According to Gallup, our Fed chairman has the lowest recorded confidence level in the history of our country, meaning the guy in charge of the Fed— Jerome Powell, head of the Federal Reserve, okay, 36% of U.S. adults say they have either a great deal or a fair amount of confidence in this guy. You suck, you jackass. That's the guy in charge of the money. Do you understand? The guy, 36% of people think the guy in charge of the money is going to do okay. Okay, that's not good, you guys. Okay, let me give you another one. Janet Yellen. 37% during her first year leading the Fed in 2014 was the previous low. What do they both have in common? They were, of course, running the economy under Democrats. Don't be thick, all right? Because this is their problem. They keep, okay, Ben Bernanke also had hit 39% in 2012, also under Obama. I don't see you doing any better in the booty department. But the reason being is because they are prioritizing Everything except what matters. That's the problem. Okay? Less regulation, less spending, less taxes. The point is, you've got to get Washington out of the way. Government is not the solution to our problem. Government is the problem. It's such a simple statement. But every time you get government involved in the markets... They do more harm than good. Every time you get government involved at a federal level, okay, oftentimes the reaction is worse than the problem. Look at COVID. COVID was something that should have been dealt with on a state-by-state basis, based on geography, based on population size. But instead, we worked at a federal level. And that federal level did massive damage, not just to education, but to the economy as a whole. And none of this needed to happen, you understand. But the problem we have right now when you look out at the Fed is they're no different than every other institution in Washington. Nobody looks around right now. When they hear the military talking about pronouns, does that give you confidence in the military? The answer would be no. When you got the director of Homeland Security talking about passing legislation instead of securing the border, does that give you confidence? The answer would be no. No. When you got the Fed pushing an Inflation Reduction Act that boosts inflation in the name of climate change? Dude. We have people in Washington that don't know what they're doing. 
live from everywhere USA. It's Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Oh, yes, it sure is. You heard the man. We're fired up. It's a big hour of Fox Across America with your radio buddy, Jimmy Fallon. We're bringing in Brian Brenberg. He is a professor of economics at the King's College. He is the host of the Big Money Show on the Fox Business Network. And he is going to take us inside this standoff over the debt ceiling. As it stands, President Biden expected to meet with House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy at the White House at 4 p.m. Eastern Time today, Tuesday, May the 9th. Happens to be Dana Perino's birthday. Also the birthday of Janice Dean, the weather machine. (laughs) Two just absolutely phenomenal women who've had such a profound impact on my career. Uh, And we salute them. Uh, We wish them both a happy birthday. If you interact with Dana or Janice Dean on social media, uh, be sure to reach out to both of them and congratulate them on turning 21. Uh, some Another young woman in the news today, though, we should also bring up, uh, is the White House Press Secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre. She is so bad at her job. Well, she's, I don't know, listen, man, she isn't great at her job. I will concede that point, uh, but she's really bad at analogies. <laughs> I want to play you this clip. And tell me if you get why this analogy doesn't work, given the policies of this administration, given the things they've tried to push. Uh, Tell me if you get why her comparison of the debt ceiling to making your car payments or your house payments uh, is a bad analogy, given the domestic policies put forth by this administration. It's clip 22. If you buy a car, you are expected to pay the monthly payments. If you buy a home, you are expected to pay the mortgage every month. That is the expectation. That is the spending that you put forth or spending that you may have done before, and now you're paying it every month. If you do not pay your car payment, if you do not pay your mortgage payment, then your credit is going to be bad. It's going to hurt your credit. It's nothing more than white noise coming from the White House. But that's Corrine Jean-Pierre. Now, why does this analogy about the car payment not work? Because she's trying to stress the importance. Well, the thing about the debt ceiling is we need to emphasize the importance of making payments. We need to emphasize the importance of fulfilling obligations to our creditors. You know, when you take out a car loan or you take out a home loan, you got to make those payments for the house. You got to make those payments for the car. I agree. Now do student loan forgiveness. Is it not at least a little laughable to hear Corrine Jean-Pierre, someone who just spent the last year with Joe Biden telling us college kids shouldn't have to pay their loans, now turning around in the next breath being like, we got to fulfill our obligations here. Come on, you can't just take out loans and not pay them. Are you stupid or something? I mean, we've been telling you that for the last two years. This is the biggest schmuck I've ever met. (laughs) So crazy. You know, you take out a loan, you got to pay it. Exactly. This idea that we've been telling people their personal responsibilities are no longer their own. 
Okay, this idea that we've been trying to pass the cost of a college loan onto the people who didn't take it out to begin with. That's not right. It's criminal. Imagine you go home today and you get a bill in the mail from Applebee's for a meal you didn't even eat. Okay, that's what student loan forgiveness is. Okay, you're getting a bill in the mail. For a meal you didn't even eat. Thanks, big government weenuses. You didn't take out the loan. Okay, but you're getting a bill anyway. At least if you're going to do this, put a couple of chicken fingers in the envelope. Give us a bite of the meal. You know what I'm saying? I can't. I just keep, I can't stop talking to you about food. It's not good. You're killing yourself the way you eat. Y'all fat look at you. Okay, but that's where this analogy fails. I'm going to give you a little more. Okay, here's KJP saying it's Congress's duty. It's very simple. Okay, and to be clear, we should be keeping our commitments. We should be trying to maintain the highest credit rating possible. But all she's really trying to do is pressure Republicans into doing this on their terms. Correct the mundo. Okay, McCarthy, to his credit, is trying to stand his ground. When they meet today, it'll be McCarthy, Hakeem Jeffries. Chuck Schumer's going to be in the room doing his thing. Chuck Schumer is a clown. Fine. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell. It's the first time they're all getting together since they took on their current roles. So this is, you know, the season premiere in a lot of ways. Hakeem Jeffries, of course, replaced the outgoing Nancy Pelosi. Nancy Pelosi is a total dingbat. But they've never gotten together uh, the Hakeem Jeffries, Chuck Schumer, Mitch McConnell, Kevin McCarthy crew. And sat down with Biden or whoever the heck is in charge of speaking on Biden's behalf in this meeting. Uh, But essentially what they're trying to do in the Republican Party is get some type of a control on spending. Okay, that's what they're angling for. I'm not going to bore you to death with policy. But essentially what the Republicans are saying is, hey, we're $33 trillion in debt. Can we have an honest conversation about what we're spending all of this money on so we can determine, we can means test it, we can decide whether or not it's necessary. What the Republicans are trying to do to their credit, okay, is run the country like it's a family. Look at it no differently than running a family, than running a household. You have X amount of income. You have Y amount of bills. You have what you want to do. You have what you need to do. And it's always going to take precedent. Okay, what the Democrats want to do is give everybody everything free, you know, free college, free health care, free child care, free willy. Okay, whatever. Doesn't matter. Okay, but unfortunately, servicing the interest on our debt is now on pace to be the biggest percentage, the biggest percentage of our expenditures as a government, as a budget. We're now getting to a place as a country where if we don't control spending, we're making the minimum payment on our credit card, meaning you're never going to pay the credit card off. That is correct. Okay, just to just put it on the simplest of terms, Brenberg can get in here and talk policy with you. He can get in here and talk to you, okay, about, you know, maneuvers and carried interest and 
all kinds of provisions they can do, the permitting process and everything in between. Okay, but the truth is it's as simple as looking at it like it's your house. Okay, one side says we have X amount of income, we have Y amount of bills. Okay, we have what we want to do, we have what we need to do. The other side is a bunch of children. Okay, they want to go to Disney World. Okay, great. But in order to pull that off, dad's going to have to be turning tricks behind Space Mountain to come up with the money. Here's Kareem Jean-Pierre trying to put the heat on Congress. Clip 23. So let's look at Congress for a second. This is spending that they've already done. They've already spent. Let's not forget the $2 trillion Trump tax cuts that they were willing and happy to vote for. So we're telling them or saying to them, do your job. Pay for something that you've already spent on. That's it. This is spending that has already occurred. They need to do the right thing that has been done 78 times since 1960. It's that simple. It is very, very simple. It is the right thing to do. It is their constitutional duty. It is not complicated at all. You don't have a clue. So funny, because what did she say? Let's look at the $2 trillion Trump tax cuts they were willing and happy to vote for. The Trump tax cuts, just so you understand, were the biggest driver of wealth accumulation for low-income Americans, black Americans, and single mothers. They were the three biggest gainers under the Trump tax cuts. The Trump's tax cuts predominantly went to the lower middle class. In fact, the only people who took a hit under the Trump tax cuts were the wealthy who could no longer deduct state and local taxes above $10,000 on their homes. But the Democrats constantly like to decry, ah, oh, the Trump tax cuts for the rich. Democrats are so full of crap. They didn't benefit the rich. They predominantly benefited the lower middle class. But this is how they try to frame the issue, class warfare. But again, what they won't talk about is X amount of income, Y amount of bills. Okay, our debt is massive. Stewart can tell you all about it. He's in Memphis, Tennessee. Yo, Stewart. Hey, do do people How's it going, Jimmy? It's going, but I mean, it's we're in a lot of debt. Like we're the Statue of Liberty is going to be selling feed picks on OnlyFans if this doesn't turn around. Oh, buried up to our neck. Hey, <laughs> uh, the reason I called, and I, I, you know, we talked earlier on the Memphis yep. riots and, and fun things like that. But the reason why I called is because nobody understands the size of the debt. Mm-mm. And what I mean is, if you stand next to an aircraft carrier, you go, holy crap, that's a big boat. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if you don't know what you're dealing with in the debt, you, you kind of can't, can't get the concept. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I literally got a, hundred, hundred, a bundle of $101 bills mm-hmm. and brought it out, and I got the measurements, the dimensions, the size, the weight, and so forth. And I said, well, how big is the debt? And so I pulled out a, a normal calculator that you just buy off the street. Mm-hmm. You can't use because there's not enough digits. You go into exponential notation before uh, or scientific notation before um, uh, you even get close to the debt. Mm-hmm. So I use my phone. So you have a lot of digits to work with. Mm-hmm. And I've just started doing some, as Jethro says on the Beverly Hillbilly, some cipher. <laughs> and uh, um, the debt is... If you take the Mall of Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. If, and, and if you if you put the debt in the Mall of Washington D.C., the mall is two square miles. Mm-hmm. That's the size of the mall. Mm-hmm. The debt's a mile and a half deep on that entire area. 
Wow. That's crazy. I mean, it's, it's crazy. It's, it's hard for people to even wrap their brain about it. But the point is, it's so much money that it's yeah yeah go ahead it's not sustainable yeah and and, and nobody nobody can nobody can uh comprehend it until they stand next to it and i, I think that's the monument of of all stupidity in washington should be they ought to they ought to have a, a a pile of money or a representation of the pile of money in the mall of washington dc and just have a block of one and a half miles in height that you know is, is a air uh, an air uh that's crazy uh, you know an airport hazard type of thing <laughs> you know for um airplanes to fly around and go holy crap that's the size of our debt you know had the pilots pointed out as they do the approach <laughs> into washington you, you gotta have a go, flashing light on it yeah you have to have a flashing or, light on top of it yeah a flashing light or a flag and and you know could be one of the seven wonders of the world seen from space like the great wall of china or something like that that's how big our debt is nobody can and if you lay it end to end mm-hmm. like a, like a roll of toilet paper you just you tape a bunch of dollar bills end to end it goes you said 33 trillion dollars so i'd have to do a little bit more ciphering on it but 33 trillion dollars will go beyond the planet uranus and probably will hit the planet pluto that's insane. So, I mean, if you t- just take a string of dollar bills mm-hmm. and go to the planet Pluto, that's the debt. That is I mean, when insane. they said we're doing this, we're doing this um, stimulus plan, the $1.1 trillion stimulus plan, that took off from Earth and circled the Earth, like, you know, went to the moon and back from the Earth like 7,000 times. That is Because we're dealing with numbers we can't comprehend. Yeah, that's, and, no one is, that, that's why we're not having a real conversation because people can't even fathom. What we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, and I'm, I, you know, I want people to kind of get an idea of, you know, uh, we're talking, you know, w- w- at what point does Biden think this is real money? And, and this is what bothers me because it's a trillion, you know, a trillion here, a trillion there. You know, we used to talk in the Reagan administration, a billion here, a billion there. Mm-hmm. At some point, it's going to be real money. Yeah. Well, now we're talking a thousand billion dollars, thirty-one thousand billion dollars, being thirty-one trillion dollars. Yeah. Is when, hey, at some point in time, we're going to talk real money here. When will we, you know, at what point in time? Another fun fact, just I'll just give you another number to think of. Mm-hmm. The $31 trillion will literally blanket each individual state in the U.S. And then, like the Northeast Corridor, mm-hmm. it bundles like 16 of those states or 17 of those states in the Northeast Corridor. So it literally just take a blanket and mm-hmm. put it over the Northeast United States. That's, That's our debt. Stunning numbers. These are great analogies. Way to paint a visual picture, Stuart. Game ball to you. I'm going to lose you to hey. a, I'm going to lose you to a commercial break. But everybody, take Stuart's words and picture them and take them to heart as he's haranguing Joe Biden. I, though I got to be honest with you, all of those singles make me think you're hanging out with Bill Clinton. I believe that together we can make America great again. You're listening to the most addictive show on the radio. This is crack, rock cocaine. It isn't glamorous or cool or kid stuff. This is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America. Your radio buddy, Jimmy Fallon, going to talk with one of my radio buddies, Brian Brenberg, in the next break. But joining us now from Salisbury, Vermont, on the legendary WVMT, Dennis is in the house. Yo, Dennis. Hey, Jimmy. So I have this uh, plan. I'm going to go out on a credit-fueled spending binge. And when my creditors and fraud victims 
drag me before the judge. I'm going to tell him I wasn't being profligate or irresponsible. I was deficit spending my way to prosperity, <laughs> after which time, after I inevitably got wealthy from doing so, I was going to pay everybody back. <laughs> it's so crazy that that's the line of thought that we're deploying. Like, hey, what I know. What could go wrong? It's I, foolproof. It, but it is. It's crazy. Like, I, when I was a young guy, Dennis, I used to do a lot of gambling in casinos. Like, I still gamble now, but, like, different gambling. Like, I'll eat chicken in Times Square. It's a totally different type of gamble. But the point is, when I was young, you know, I would be, you know, I could be down thousands of dollars I didn't have. And I'd be like, well, if you just let me go back to the ATM. But that's what we're doing here. We're in the casino. We're not winning. And we're just going to keep going to the ATM. Like, it doesn't end good for us. How come nobody gets that? You think they're just too no, – the, go ahead. The bookie's not going to float your bet – not going to float the bet of the federal government. Yep. That's what's yeah. so crazy. And nobody gets it. It's such basic logic we're dealing with here. Uh, and at the highest levels of our government, no one's deploying any of it. It's like me and you are not supposed to be the voice of reason, Dennis. But here we are. Uh, listen, Brian Brenberg's coming on. He will answer all your questions. We'll float any theory you have uh, because we got to get to the bottom of this one way or the other. When I'm on the radio and I'm calling for, like, fiscal sanity in Washington, D.C. That can't be good. Dude, I invested 90% of the money I made in my 20s. In, <laughs> I'm not even kidding. I invest ninety percent of the money I made. I invested in in blackjack and and dancing girls. My hobbies are fast cars and fast women. That's pretty much what I did in my twenties. And uh, you know, listen, I have a family now. I'm a little more responsible. I'm on top of stuff. But even a guy who was steeped in such things understands that what we're doing at the top of the government is wildly irresponsible. And to Dennis's point, yeah, we're gonna. We're going to spend our way out of this mess. That's not an actual option. <laughs> but that's the one they're deploying right now in Washington. What the hell were you thinking? I don't know, but Brian Brenberg will try and tell us when we come back on Fox Across America. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fett. They're playing the cars. They are. They are playing the cars. They're the. We, we have a medley, Brenberg. They're play, illegal now, yeah, but you the, can still play it. <laughs> it's the electric car. We play something called the electric. This band would be broken up. Washington would intervene like, stop the music. Folks, the co-host of the Big Money Show on Fox Business returns. Brian Brenberg in the house. They're, hey, man. They're never going to write great music about EVs. <laughs> Think how much music, like rock and roll, grew up with a gasoline-powered yeah. car. Nobody wants to hear "Shake It Up" become "Charge It Up." <laughs> Charge it up, <laughs> ooh ooh! We're like, no, this, this is terrible. Is terrible. <laughs> this is terrible. That's no good. We're gonna man. lose music as a result of losing. Oh, it's so it's just on a superficial level. Well, it's good to see you, man. Um, how I haven't even paid attention to your twins. Lincoln has an update. Lincoln has updated me on everything else. You know, Brenberger right. and I talk frequently about how our sons have hit that age in sports enthusiasm yeah. where they can't converse without a non sequitur. Right. Okay. Right. So Aaron Hicks at a pinch and home run. I'm like, the question, Lincoln, was do you want hamburgers and hot dogs? <laughs> right. Aaron Hicks at a two run home run. I'm like, oh, it's great because he's so passionate. But he hasn't, he hasn't updated me on the Twins. You know, I think they're struggling a little bit. I okay. think uh, offensively they've been struggling a little bit. But we haven't watched a lot of Twins. It's been all 
Mets and and uh, a lot of National League ball. That's like what we get on our various That's channels we here. subscribe to. So yeah, went to the Mets game Friday night. That was a lot of fun. Timmy and my daughter got to go on the field. Actually, Ooh, yeah. That's a win. It was, Timmy got a ball, caught a ball. Stop. No, it. I mean it was a big deal. That no, that matters. I mean, if we're really going to talk little league yeah. baseball for a second, uh-huh. uh, Tim Brunberg pitched his first game this weekend. Did he? he? Came in in the in the last inning. Runners on the corners, game tied. He's never pitched before. Came into the game and shut them down and completely. got out of it, throwing a mix of changeups and slower changeups. It was <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> but most importantly for you, as the host of a business show, you won the bets. That's right. There you and, go. Uh, I also bought uh, steak dinners all weekend. <laughs> steak dinners. Awesome. Man, it was a good heavy. time. It's a good time for baseball. That's one thing you need in life. Uh, you ain't kidding. I. I Oddly enough, I was around to watch Lincoln uh, all last weekend. The Link man's doing well. Yeah. Uh, the Clark Rams wrap up their season this Friday, but he's also playing in a rec league. And ah. I bet Jenny's parents were in town last week. It's a great story. Jenny's parents drove from Ohio to New York to watch Lincoln play high school and rec league. The first five days rained out. Oh, <laughs> they didn't see a game. And the, but you know the way kids' schedules are between Friday and Sunday. They saw like eight games. Right. <laughs> like, all right, can we cancel one of these games? There's too many innings now. Oh, my gosh. It's but, just a marathon. But they saw a lot of the Link man in action. Oh, what position is he playing? These so uh, left out. No, I'm kidding. He's in his rec. What's funny is he's playing right field for Clark for the yeah. school team, yeah. but his rec league they play them everywhere. So he plays uh, second base, that's plays great. the outfield, he pitches. That's great. So you're just getting the full experience of playing ball, which is like the greatest thing in the world. I mean, for me, that was I probably peaked as a fifth grader, right? When you were just playing baseball behind a house somewhere, exactly. Doesn't get any better than that, no, Bremberg. This is good stuff. America needs this right now. We just need more, more, maybe more Sandlot baseball. Is more, that the answer? More Sandlot, more kids making up their own rules on the fly fighting it out when things don't go well. Don't you think, honestly, I don't know that anyone would ever co-sign this, but if I was a politician, I would actually propose like a national timeout. Like Mm. even if it was 72 hours, like a social media moratorium, because I feel like it's not that Americans can't coexist. I feel like we're being asked to coexist too much. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you had, I mean, that's what Thanksgiving started as, right? A national day of thanks. Mm -hmm. It's not crazy. You could say, look, hey, everybody, I'm just, can't force it, but what about yeah. what if we just did this? How about yeah? How about just doing this? Take a break. Imagine- go do something you haven't done. You know, there like be some politicians would go crazy. Yeah, it's yeah. like what you're not going to check out my Instagram for a day. <laughs> you know, like AOC would would have a be a national day of mourning for her because nobody's paying attention to the main thing she does all the time, and the rest of us would all feel like seventy five percent better. Imagine you went and you had a catch. You went fishing. I don't know what you did. You went rollerblading. I don't care. The point is. Not this. This has got to happen. You you have just come up with maybe the most important idea we've had in America. Because <laughs> this is the problem, okay? This is where I think social media has ruined us, okay? we the, Taking kids to the playground when they're young is the greatest thing in the world until they've been on the playground for three hours. Right. Now they're telling on each other. They're fighting, you know? And you realize as a parent, you're like, well, we need to go get ice cream. And, you know, you break it up. You realize they've right. been in the sun too yep. long. The problem with social media now is where you can't leave to go get ice cream. We've been you know, playing at the playground for like 10 straight years. Yeah. We just need to go somewhere yeah, else. Yeah, we're past the point of telling on each other and fighting over who's it and everything in between. And this is like the playground like you had in the 70s where the slide's like 100 feet tall. <laughs> 
completely made of sharp metal, you know? Like, if, if you it, make it down, you're going to get burned. That's it, best case scenario. It, it wasn't as litigious of a society. That's right. When you talk about things we had growing up, like every, every school we had, they were called the monkey bars, okay? Yeah. And they were metal bars in a state of disrepair, rusted out in at least two out of the five most importantly placed handles on the playground. <laughs> and you'd hang by your legs and fling and flip, and, you know, you might break a collarbone, but character was built. No, that's like the, the spinning circle of death where the whole point was somebody has got to, <laughs> you know, fly off this thing so hard that they've got to go home. You won when you finally got somebody hurt. I mean, that was the whole point of the thing, right? It was a tougher society. What does Rodney Dangerfield say? When I was in school, they were tough. After they sacked the quarterback, they went after his family. You know, that whole thing. They were tough. You know, that whole thing. Brian Bremberg's in the studio. But you're right. We need a national timeout. We need something, just like a little something, because it's just too contentious. And I don't feel, this is the truth, I don't think 99% of us are naturally calibrated for the life that we're living. I think most no. people have now taken on an unpaying job as a political surrogate. Right. And it's why they're so exasperated. Is everybody, in addition to whatever your job is, you now have to pick up your phone 71 times a day and argue with someone you don't even know. You're road raging with someone who's not even on the same highway as you. Yeah, you're out there defending a candidate who is never going to give you a dime for it. And, you know, like for for 16 views, you're going to just tell this guy he and his mother deserve, you know... It's for so what? True. Like we're all surrogates for something. Be yes. a surrogate for your own life. Thank you. That's what we're trying to say. If we were running for office, and this is why we wouldn't be able to fundraise <laughs> or win, getting past my difficulties with the background check, the reason that the by the Brenberg failed ticket is a non-starter is uh you know no what we're saying is probably true. Okay, but I don't know that they'd get behind it. I think the special interests want, you know, they want the engagement is what I'm saying. We're not special enough for those interests. (laughs) We'll get there. We'll show you, America. Uh, Brian Bremberg's in studio. We're having a grown-up talk about all things America. You and I kind of got into this off the air, but at 4 o'clock today, Biden is supposed to be meeting. Now, it is the season premiere. They've never met before as a group since Hakeem Jeffries replaced Pelosi, Mm -hmm. since uh, McCarthy ascended to the speakership on the 81st vote. This is the first time McCarthy, McConnell, Schumer, Jeffries wow. are getting in a room with whoever the president happens to be. <laughs> I, I, I know there's a meeting. I know Biden's going to be there. Let me tell you something. <laughs> Five people are meeting at the White House today. Four of them are rushing to the nearest microphone when it's over. The fifth happens to be the president, who is not <laughs> saying a word. He's just going right to bed. Did like, you, I mean, did you've you got to stay up late here. But this is what I want to ask you about. Did you see the Washington Post today? They wrote an op-ed saying, you know, this Biden guy is not giving us any right. press availability. I, yeah, I saw that, yeah. I was like, dude, you, you guys were totally fine with this. <laughs> you you made this happen. Like, <laughs> like you're, you're not critiquing him. You're critiquing you. Yeah. It, it was your idea to let this guy become president in the basement. Thank you. That's the point. So they, they made they made this bed uh, that he was calling a lid in at 11 a.m. for right. three years. And now they don't want to sleep in it. <laughs> like for you were you were fine with this till you weren't. So let me ask you this. Just just purely speculative now. Do you think on some level, because they did this before the midterms, everybody thought the Democrats were going to get crushed in the midterms, and they did start writing pieces like Biden's too old, Biden's kind of lost the room. But then because he overachieved in the midterms, they stopped writing those pieces. Is this another trial balloon in the sense that if they know someone's going to seriously primary him, it has to happen now or never? I don't think so. See, my read on this is this is where they they know it's costless to write something like, ah, you should get out on the trail more. You know, Mm -hmm. I mean, very milquetoast piece, but... 
but they can write it and kind of feel like, okay, we set our thing on this side. But yeah. of course, as soon as Republicans have a candidate, uh-huh. you know they're going to be like, the basement for you, Joe. <laughs> That's where you belong. Look Get at the leadership. <laughs> Get home, Grandpa. So this is like the safe space to kind of launder your advocacy for Biden right now. Oh, That's it's... why they're doing it. And then everybody's like, oh, is the Washington Post turning on him? Are you kidding yeah. me? <laughs> Do you really think they're getting ready to, like, make no. this interesting? I no. doubt that. No, I thought – I just – I took it as a potential trial balloon. But I, I say this to my audience all the time. I, the reason the media tries to claw back a little credibility is so they can cash it in again right, when the exactly, general election Exactly. Comes. No, no, we ask the tough questions. But upon further review, right. this Republican is actually – well, he's not the devil. He's worse than the devil, right. obviously. I mean the devil's no a – No offense to the devil, and, but uh... – <laughs> The devil's a mom and pop compared to the evil this guy brings to the table. <laughs> like what are you talking about? That's all this is. I mean the, the Washington po- – look, people are like, can Biden do the job? Biden is doing the progressive's job. Yep. Perfectly, he actually what is. they wanted was an empty vessel to pour progressivism into, and then a little bit leaks out at a time. That's what you got. Uh-huh. He is perfect for them. They don't want him to go anywhere. No, no. They the have, Post doesn't want him to go anywhere. They love eight more, four more years of this anyway. This is perfect for them. It is so true because bureaucrats run the country now, and we don't vote on that. Guys who have been in D.C. forever and will be there forevermore uh-huh. run the place. Well, that's the other thing. Okay, so that's a sobering analysis, but we know it's true. Okay, is there's this fantasy out there like, ah, Trump's going to come in and fire everybody. He can't. You know, that's it's not how D.C.'s configured. But that would be a conversation I'd love to see us have, which is, you know, how could power actually be returned to the people as opposed to the guys that are they're literally in the basement at the Capitol. You have to destroy about a million jobs. Yeah. In and D.C., like yeah. in and around D.C. We just went from running on a timeout to anarchists. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, everybody needs to take a break. Now we're like, what if we burn it all down? <laughs> what just happened to us? That's so true. How did we do that? Like, that was so fast. Because <laughs> we started out as Marianne Williamson, and now apparently somebody stuck an envelope full of cash under the door. I'll tell you one thing. Up. I can build a plywood fence in like two days, get some chickens. <laughs> it's going to be great. What a what a turn the shortest lived campaign in history. <laughs> Unbelievable, Brenberg. Uh so there's one clip that I loved so much. Did you guys I don't know if you heard it on on the big money show today, but Karine Jean-Pierre took some heat cuz she was talking about the debt ceiling. Oh, I love this one. Yes, yeah, the best clip ever. If this. if the listeners haven't heard it yet, some of them have, some of them haven't. Here's Karine Jean-Pierre talking about how the debt ceiling is like buying a car or making a house payment. It's basically about every payment except the student loan payment. Uh here it is, clip 22. If you buy a car, you are expected to pay the monthly payments. Mm -hmm. If you buy a home, you are expected to pay the mortgage every month. That is the expectation. That is the spending that you put forth or spending that you may have done before, and now you're paying it every month. If you do not pay your car payment, if you do not pay your mortgage payment, then your credit is going to be bad. It's going to hurt your credit. So the question is, like, how did they not know how wide open they were for a body shot on student loan forgiveness? Preach, KJP. (laughs) That is by far the best thing that's ever been said from that podium. I know. In the last two years. She actually nailed it. Unfortunately, it flies in the face of their whole. (laughs) But now you got to ask yourself the question. Okay, you couldn't say that. If you're aware of what you've said every previous day at that podium since you've been there, which then takes you back to the conclusion 
that the right hand and the left hand don't know what they're doing. Oh, but it's like right brain, left brain kind of thing. It's crazy to th- me. This is what happens when you have an administration that just wants to win today's news cycle. Exactly. Yeah, they just operate independently of yesterday or tomorrow. Doesn't that's matter. like what our world is like now. It doesn't yeah. matter what I said yesterday. We're just in this moment right here. And in this moment, paying your loans, very important. Yeah, you got to pay them loans, Next moment, a totally different ballgame. That's like this floating, detached reality where it's just about the moment. Here. And this is where I think back to my national timeout. Now we come full circle. Yes. Okay, this is all we were really doing is workshopping the idea. We started off with we need a national timeout. We turned into militant anarchists, <laughs> but now we've come full circle. This is where you do need perspective because if you walk away from a little a little bit, you know, when you're in, in some type of like an emotional back and forth, sometimes it's just denying you basic self-awareness, mm-hmm. some basic perspective. You know, I can tell you as a former cab driver, things get hot out there. Yeah. One of the greatest thing that ever happened to me as a cab driver and the guy really thought I was unhinged. So I, I have like my default is I, always, I feel bad for people because I'm having a good time. Like even when I was a cab driver, yeah. I felt guilty about how much I enjoyed my life. And I was making like $130 a month. <laughs> like we were literally like I had to be like Daisy my cat. I'm like, are you going to finish that? <laughs> I was like like the happiest guy I ever met. I felt like (laughs) such a sense of guilt. And I would drive around in my taxi, and, like, my thing is, like, from time to time, I will just, like, say a prayer for a person I don't even know. You know, hey, help this. Give this guy a break. This guy's amazing. Look at that guy. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. So one time there used to be a Luke Oil gas station on 8th Avenue where 12th and Bank Street intersect 8th Avenue, right? Okay. And the guy cut me off so violently uh, pulling out of the Luke Oil like I, I should – maybe I am dead. Maybe this is what the afterlife looks like. Oh. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, he not only cut me off, he then turned around and gave me the finger. Right. And in just a weird fit of you know emotional you know whatever, I go – and he must have thought it was the craziest thing in the world. I go, oh, yeah? Well, you're not getting a prayer. <laughs> He was like, what is, this, what is this guy talking about? Like, who is this lunatic? What's his problem? You know what I mean? And I drove over. Like, I show him. And what do you think I did when I got the 14th street? I'm like, yeah, Lord, help the guy out. This guy's a mess. <laughs> I couldn't in. even keep the promise. You gave in, man. That's why you should be at the top of the ticket. You have a little more vindictiveness in you. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm too soft there. Well, we need our religious presence on the ticket. I'm at, you yeah. bring that for y- us. You're the, you're the Mike Pence. Hey, just the <laughs> fact that there was a Luke Oil in that part of Manhattan. There used I to mean, be. How long ago was that? There was a Luke Oil. We used to have Sitco. We used to have some action. Gas stations, man. <laughs> now you could get just, gas. Dude, you know that's funny how, how foreign this concept is? There used to be a Hess, okay, on 10th Avenue. Yeah. From like 50th to 52nd, it was that big. They flattened it, and there's not even anything there. They just needed to get rid of the gas station. It's, like, it's crazy. Bad for Manhattan's brand to be able to get gas for your Yeah, gas. no, we can't have You're these gonna people. You're going to be telling a story to your grandkids yeah. someday. I'll tell you about these gas stations. <laughs> we went to this thing. Called, well, in Manhattan? Yeah. We were like, we used to have this thing called indoor restrooms. <laughs> like, what's that, Grandpa? <laughs> this town is disgusting. <laughs> oh, Brenberg. Watch the Big Money Show every dang day on the Fox Business Network. Please do. We're back after this. Tackling issues of the day in an easy way. He's all man. He's a big, strong-looking guy. You're listening to Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. It is Fox Across America with Jimmy Fallon. Some breaking news on the way out the door. A verdict has been reached in the civil rape trial of E. Jean Carroll. 
and Donald Trump, the accusation being that he allegedly raped her in a store fitting room over 30 years ago. It was made up by these sick people. Now, the truth is this is a civil trial, so he's not he's well past the statute of limitations. He's not facing actual jail time, but he could be held financially liable. And of course, the Democrats could smear him as some type of a convicted sexual assaulter. Uh, The jury is going to read the verdict in the Trump civil rape case at 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, And the news cycle is going to look wildly different when that happens, if only because a not guilty would allow Trump to characterize this and all the other prosecutions against him as witch hunts, as politically motivated. But, of course, if, in fact, he is held civilly liable, the Democrats are going to run with this as, see, he's a rapist. And believe me, they are chomping at the bit for anything they can throw at the guy. It really is just such a disgusting time in our politics, one way or the other. You got Biden being accused by a whistleblower of taking bribes and kickbacks. You got Hunter having an affair with his brother's widow and knocking up a stripper behind her back. Jerry Springer, man, you left us way too soon. You'd be perfect right now. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.